this is the word of the Lord. Now, we've been looking at the armor for the last several weeks, and Theo has joined us again, and we started the belt of truth. We saw that the belt of truth is the word of God. It is our commitment to and belief in the absolute truth of God's word. And the belt was used by the soldier. Remember, Paul just chained to these praetorian guard, these, uh, these Roman soldiers. The belt was used by the soldier to be able to reach down, pull up his tunic, and tuck it in if, the, if he had to run into battle so that he wouldn't be tripping up over his, his long garments that the soldiers wore underneath all their armor. So he'd reach down, he'd pull it up. And for us to be able to run into the battle, for us to be able to even get into the battle, there's got to be a commitment to God's word as truth. We must see it as his absolute truth. We must see it as God's word to us so that we might be able to stand firm. If we depend on our own word, if we depend on our own strength, we will not be ready for the battle. It's God's word, God's truth that prepares us to get in the battle and run headlong into the battle and stand firm. So the belt of truth. Secondly, we talked about last week the breastplate of righteousness. And we saw that that's not our self-righteousness, that's not our trying to do better, trying to be better, trying to be good people. That's not what the breastplate of righteousness is. Self-righteousness is, is incapable of, of preparing us for battle. Self-righteousness, we said, is like having on a paper breastplate. It won't stop anything, much less swords and daggers that come charging headlong. So, so this, is a, this is a breastplate that protects our emotions as a believer protects the central part, the vital organs of the body, where the seat of the emotions were in Paul's idea. So when he looked at that soldier, he said, well, that breastplate protects us in our emotion. But it's not, not our righteousness, but it's his righteousness that we are clothed in, that we put on, that we wear. And it's, it's based on the imputed righteousness of Christ that is given to us when we are in Christ, when we are justified by faith alone. We are imputed with the righteousness of Christ. He who knew no sin became sin so that we who have no righteousness might become the righteousness of God. And so it's based on the imputed righteousness, but it's not the imputed righteousness that is the breastplate. The breastplate is the outworking of that imputed righteousness. The breastplate is holy living. The breastplate is godliness that comes about because Christ has given us his righteousness and now we are walking in it, living in it, and dare I say practicing it, as a way of life. So it's a practical righteousness. It's a, it's a righteousness given by God and then is worked out in our life on a day-by-day -day basis. And, and if, you have a, if you have a cheek in that armor, if you have a little hole in that armor, little sins, little presumptuous sins, as David calls it uh, in Psalm 19, if you have those presumptuous sins, that's a little hole in the armor, and it gives Satan in, in the battle the chance to stick you good with a, uh, uh, with a, a dagger or sword as you're standing there hand-to-hand -hand combat. So we wear our breastplate. Now somebody said they'd heard a sermon years ago. They had said this going out last week. They heard years ago that Paul doesn't say anything about a backplate. That, you know, it's just a breastplate. So if you're running from the battle, they'll get you in the back. That's not right. The breastplate covers the front, the sides, and the back. It fits over the body and protects the entire midsection. I know that, that makes a good sermon application. It's just not a valid application, you know. But, but, but the breastplate is all around. It protects the whole midsection in hand-to-hand -hand combat because even in hand-to-hand -hand combat, you get turned around sometimes, don't you? Well, you've probably never been in hand-to-hand -hand combat, most of us, but, but it will. You can get turned around, and you have to recover yourself. You have to recover in the battle. 
And so it protects the midsection. For Paul, that's the seat of the emotions. It's, it protects us from the emotional and spiritual roller coaster that we sometimes find ourselves on. Today he comes to the shoes. And as Paul is looking at that Roman soldier, he says, now, the shoes. The shoes are an important part of the armor. Now, now the shoes don't protect from arrows. The shoes don't protect from, uh, uh, from swords or daggers in hand-to-hand -hand combat. But the shoes are a very, very important part of the, of the soldier's armor. And he wears them everywhere he goes. He wears them so that he's always prepared. As a matter of fact, the shoes gave, him three, gave the soldier three things. They gave him a, a, a mobility. They gave him protection. And they gave him stability in the battle. Uh, you can't really tell this a lot with Theo here. Uh, they are kind of like sandals. The toes kind of stick out, and the toes aren't really covered that much. But uh, the, the screen actually cuts off the bottom of his shoes. The bottom of the soldier's shoes were very thick. They were, they were thick, hardened leather prepared for the, to prepare them for the battle. Now, the reason they had the thick leather, hardened leather, was because in, in Paul's day, in battle, the enemy always, always had tricks up his sleeve. And one of the biggest tricks by, by the enemies of Rome was to go out to where the battle was going to take place in the field, and before the battle started, a day or so early, they would go out in the field and they would sharpen razor sharp shards of, of wood and pieces of metal or whatever they could, that they get razor sharp, and then they would stick them in the ground and kind of camouflage them by grass, where it was kind of pointing up toward the direction that the Roman soldiers would be coming in. And so they would be coming into battle, and they would step on one of those, and if they didn't have the right kind of shoe on, it would penetrate their foot, and it would, would really eliminate them from the battle immediately. I, I remember when I was, I don't know, 12, 13 years old, uh, my best friend, was dad, was a dairy farmer. And we loved, especially on the time when the hay was put up. They didn't, in Alabama, we didn't do these big old rolls of hay. We did bales of hay, and, you know, just square or rectangular cube type bales. And when hay was being put up, we'd put it in the loft. And then after we got it all up there, and I'd, I'd be, that was my first job ever was loading hay and, and hauling hay for him on his farm. But when we get it all put up there, uh, Jimmy Hugh and I loved to go up into, the, into the, uh, the loft and make forts. And we'd make tunnels and, and we did all sorts of things. One year we got real creative and we made this fort in there that had a tunnel that would go up high and then there was a slide tunnel down that came right to the front door of the, uh, of the loft that you know, went out over the bar barnyard. And we thought, wouldn't it be fun if we could just tie a rope on this piece of wood that went out and hang it there and we'd come sliding down out of the loft, grab the rope, rope, kind of swing out, and then slide, kind of let ourselves to the ground real quickly. It was a fun thing to do. And we did that for about an hour. And then I got a little more ambitious and decided to swing a little further out and see how far I could go. And as I swung out, one thing I didn't see covered by hay and grass and stuff below me was a board down there with a rusty nail sticking straight up. I had on tennis shoes. And I landed on that and went through the tennis shoe into my foot, and I was no good for anything the rest of the day or the week or the better part of the month. That one little nail, it wasn't a big one, you know, it's a little nail, but that one little nail totally wiped me out. If a soldier was marching out across the field or charging out across the field and he didn't have the proper footwear on and he stepped on that shard that was placed there as a trap 
I, I guess that's equivalent to our modern day landmines. They just didn't have explosives in them. And, and they stepped on it. It would immediately cause him to fall and couldn't stand in the battle. And he was out of the battle altogether. So these shoes had this thick sole that couldn't be easily pierced to protect their feet against those traps placed in the ground in front of them. They were also for stability. Uh, one of the things that this is kind of drawn in there, which you can't see, where they were, they were kind of laced up to the on the calf and everything and pulled tight, and and, and they gave them a stability for their ankles that, that their ankles wouldn't turn easily. They held them firm, but but they also had in the bottom of them uh, little pieces of metal that protruded out the bottom. I, I I can almost imagine they looked something like a modern day pair of football shoes. They had cleats in them so that they could stand firm, they could, they could hold their ground, and, and their ankles would be secure, and so they would have stability in the battle as the army would charge toward them. And so what would happen here, they would have a grip and they would stand firm. And then the shoes gave them mobility. If it protected them, if it gave them stability, it gave them mobility to be able to move throughout the battlefield in any direction they needed to go to fight off the onslaught of the coming armor, army. So, so we see that the armor, the shoes, are a vital part of the armor, although they may not appear to be, in some ways we would think, as important as, as the breastplate or the belt or even the sword or the shield. But even though they're at the bottom, they're, they're down below where the battle really takes place, if you're going to get in the battle and be in the battle as a Roman soldier, your shoes have to be what they need to be. And so we as Christians, Paul says in verse 15, having shod your feet with a preparation of the gospel of peace, shod your feet, that is put on your shoes. Paul, Paul is simply saying this, listen, I've already talked about truth and you can't get out in the battle without your belt, a commitment to God's word is truth. And you've got your breast, breastplate in place, that is a godly righteous life under him and in him. But unless you can stand on your feet, the breastplate and the belt will do absolutely no good. And in our Christian life, unless our feet are shod properly, unless we're wearing the proper spiritual shoes and thus have a solid base, we, we may get out in the battle and have a strong breastplate and a good belt on, but if we can't stand, if our spiritual feet are in danger of being pierced by traps that Satan would set for us, then we'll not be able to stand firm in it. So what are our spiritual shoes? Well, Paul says, as he looks at that Roman soldier, you know, the shoes are kind of analogous, I think, with the gospel of peace and our preparation in the gospel of peace. The idea, or the word there, preparation, sometimes uh, kind of throws people a little bit. Preparation of the gospel of peace. How do we prepare the gospel of peace? Well, the New, American, uh, New International Version, the NIV says, it puts it this way, and your feet be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That your spiritual feet in spiritual battle be, be made ready, be equipped uh, for that which is about to come. And the way you're standing firm, the way your feet are equipped, your shoes are equipped, is with the gospel of peace. Prepared, equipped, established by the gospel of peace as your shoes. Now we know those words are, are quite common in the scripture, the gospel. Gospel means good news. It means, 
It, it means a declaration of the good news. We talk about the gospel as being the good news that Christ has come, lived a sinless life, uh, died on the cross in our place, raised from the dead for our sanctification, and ascended into heaven for our glorification, and, and that the gospel is that we can be right with God based on the work of Jesus Christ, the, the work on the cross of Jesus Christ. We talk about the gospel a lot. It's good news. But Paul calls it here the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace, the good news of peace. And he's talking about here peace with God, I think. He's talking about the most basic element. There's, there's two types of peace for the believer. There's the peace with God, and there's the peace of God. Both are important. But here Paul is saying, I think, that our shoes will be being prepared and understanding and applying the gospel of peace, the good news that we have peace with God. Paul talked about that in Romans chapter 5. One of the most powerful passages in all the New Testament. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. If you want to turn there with me, do that. We're going to spend a minute here looking at this. Romans 5, 1 through 11. Paul is talking about this very thing that we wear as our shoes. Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our, our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Do you, do you see the, the three dimensions there? Past, we have faith, with, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We've also obtained, and that's sort of past tense, we have obtained our introduction by faith into grace, and it's in this grace that we stand. And we exult in the glory of God, that is, we exult in the hope of the glory of God, that is future, that, that glory that is yet to come when we stand in his presence. Paul covers all three dimensions there. Verse 3, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then. Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult, rejoice, in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Paul is talking about the gospel of peace there. We have made peace with God. We have peace with God, he says in, in verse 1. And, and that's an important thing to recognize. Some of those shards that Satan puts out there in the field that he wants us to step on without proper shoes, without proper 
armament on our feet are, are shards of doubt and distrust. Doubting that God has really done what he says he's done. Distrusting him that he can see us through the most difficult times in life and through the biggest battles of life. Remember, this is not armor that's for just laying around the pool. Uh, this is not armor for going on vacation with. This is armor for in the heat of battle, spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. And, and so Satan has put these, these doubts and confusions and distrust traps out there that we will fall in or that will pierce our spiritual feet unless we have on the proper shoes. And the proper shoes are the good news, the gospel of peace with God that Paul talks about there. Paul deals quite fully in Romans 5, 1 through 11 with, with two things. How we were before we were saved and, and now what God did to change all of that. He starts out by saying in verse 6, we were weak. He used the word helpless. We were so weak, we were helpless. We had no strength of our own. We had no righteousness of our own. We had no, no peace of our own. We, we were absolutely weak. Not only that, verse 7, he says we were unrighteous. You know, someone maybe would die for a righteous man or maybe a good man, but, but we, weren't, we, we were unrighteous. We didn't have any righteousness where God looked down and said, you know, certainly didn't do it in my life, say, you know, uh, Bill's a good man. Bill's worked hard. He's tried hard. He's, he's kind of pulled himself up by his bootstraps, and, and he's a good man. I'm going to save him because he's a good man. No, he didn't look at me and say that. He didn't look at you and say that. He looked down and said, listen, you're a, you're a rebellious sinner. You have turned your back on everything that I have, everything that I am, everything that I've commanded, everything that I've told you. You've rejected it through Adam, your father. But I'm going to do a work in you anyway. You're unrighteous. Verse 8 says you're sinful. He, he, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we're weak, we're unrighteous, we're sinful. Verse, uh, verse 9 says, we are unjustified, unsaved, and the object of God's wrath. Mm. Wow. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God to come. So the converse of that, before we're saved, we are, we are unjustified, in other words, guilty. We are unsaved outside of Christ. And we are the objects of the very wrath of God because of our condition spiritually. And in verse 10, he says, we were enemies of God. For if while we were enemies, if while we were enemies that God did what he did. That's amazing. I mean, just looking at that, those verses 6 through 10 you, you look at that and you say wow I don't understand why God did any of this and I don't understand why he did it it was purely out of his grace purely out of his mercy and so Paul tells us in this verse what he did do to change all this he said uh, God, God how did he change it well first of all in verse 8 he said Christ died for us he, he died in our place verse 8 you know, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't that he waited until we cleaned up our act or straightened up our life or got better. 
It's on the basis of the fact that we were sinners, but yet Christ died for us. Verse 9 says, he saved us from the judgment and the wrath of God. And in verse 10 says, he, he reconciled us to himself. He reconciled us to himself. He, if you will, signed the, the, the peace treaty. He, he declared the peace to be in effect because of what he has done and only what he has done. So the gospel of peace is this. The gospel of peace with which we are to shod our spiritual feet in spiritual battle is the fact that man who was at once at war with God is no longer at war with God because Christ made the peace. Now, how will that affect us in the battle against doubt? Well, it, we're reminded that, that because of his work, because of his sustaining work, because of his powerful work on the cross and by his Holy Spirit beyond that, that, that we are at peace with God. We, we don't need to doubt our own salvation or doubt God exists or doubt God's promises because we now have been made not enemies with God like we once were, but we've been now made friends with God or partners with God, if you will. The good news is that we have peace with God. We are on his side, but more importantly, he is on our side in the battle. We're not in it alone. But he stands with us. He protects us in the midst of all of that. The good news is that men and women who were once at war with God now have peace. The peace has been made by Christ. We are reconciled. We are reconciled. You know what, recon you know what it means to be reconciled? You probably had friends or family members to where there was an enmity between you. There was a, there was a conflict between you and, and maybe for a long period of time, maybe not so long, but perhaps even a long period of time, you didn't even speak with one another. And if you saw, somebody, saw the, one another on the street, one would duck into a store, one would turn around and go the other way. And there was this, there was this enmity, there was this, this stress, there was this, this, this anger almost between the two of you. There was no peace at all. I had a friend like that in high school. We got into a little confrontation over a girl. It's always over a girl in high school. And, uh, and we didn't speak for a year. It wasn't Retta before I started dating her. But, but we didn't speak for years. Okay, stay with me. We didn't speak for years. Like six years, seven years. And the two times we did see each other in that period of time, there was more than just words spoken. I'll just leave it at that. It became physical. And we'd go away. And I remember one time, I, I, it, it really was, I hate to admit this, it really was all my fault. And, uh, but I wasn't about to admit that. Until one day, years later, we were at a place where there's nobody else around. Now, as long as anybody else was around, we weren't going we to say anything to each other except growl or, or make ugly remarks. But nobody else was around, just me and him. And I was working in a lady's yard, doing some yard work, and uh, he was working, he and his dad were doing some repair work on her porch and his dad had left and I was there doing yard work 
he came on was doing some, some repair work, doing something for his dad while his dad went somewhere else. It was just me and him. And I went up to him and I said, you know, it's really silly what took place, isn't it? And he said, yeah, probably so. I said, you know, I really, it was my fault. And I want to ask you to forgive me for that. And, and after six, seven years, we put our hands, we shook hands, we said, he said, I forgive you. And I want you to forgive me for acting the way I did. And I said, I forgive you. And there was reconciliation. We would see each other periodically. We didn't, become, we didn't go back to being best of friends. That was long in the past. We'd already moved on to other areas. But, but then from then on, anytime we saw each other, it was a friendly sort of thing. It was, I didn't say, oh, no, am I going to have to worry about getting another fight with him? No, the peace had been made. And, and you know, even sometimes when maybe he and I would see each other and we would do some stupid things, we didn't worry about it because the peace had been made. In your life, you don't have to worry about every time you do have a chink in the armor or every time you do doubt or every time you do stumble because you don't have the, the shoes on right. You don't have to worry about, oh man, is God going to still like me for this? Is God going to still love me? Is God still going to care for me? You don't have to worry about that. What you have to do is say, listen, I need to get those shoes on and recognize and prepare myself for the fact that I am at peace with God. I have peace with God. The war is over. The battle's done. I'm not fighting him anymore. I'm in spiritual warfare, but he's on my side and I'm on his side. Protect your feet. You're able to stand. Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, he said, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word and the ministry of reconciliation. Or Colossians 1, 19 and 20, for it was the Father's good pleasure for the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, where the things on earth are things in heaven. So you see, these spiritual shoes that, that Theo wore for battle, but that we wear in spiritual battle, these shoes of the gospel of peace do the same thing for you and me spiritually that they did for Theo or any other Roman soldier, physically. First of all, they give us protection. They protect us from doubts and fears and disappointments and, and disillusionments. They, they protect us from all those things that Satan wants to hide out there in our path and trip us up because we've got on the protective shoes. We've got the gospel of peace. We know and we've applied the truth that we are at peace with God. So it gives us protection. There'll be times when you won't wear those shoes, right? And you will get discouraged. And you will doubt. So get them back on. Go back to the Word. Go back to Romans, 11, uh, Romans 5, 1 through 11, where Paul reminds us what Christ has done to redeem us from what we were. It gives us protection. Second, it gives us stability. We, we won't be falling down in the battle. We won't be falling down when things get difficult. We won't be falling down just because Satan attacks and just because God gives him permission to, to do something in our life that is not comfortable. 
are, are exactly like we would like for it to be. Stability to continue to stand and not to fall. Stability to be able to stand firm. That's what he said in verse 14. Stand firm, therefore. As one who is in Christ. And it gives us mobility. It gives us nobility to go with the gospel of peace, not just applying it to ourselves, although that has to be done first, but then to take the gospel of peace to others. You know, that, that's, what, that's what we were talking about in the passage that, that, uh, that, that Brother Scott read just a little earlier. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness and announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. You see, the, the, the gospel, the shoes of the gospel peace are not evangelism, okay? They're to be applied to your own life. I have peace with God. God has done a work in my life. But once they are in place and, and they, give us, they give us protection and they give us stability, then they give us mobility to go out and, and do just what Isaiah is talking about here. Announce to the world, announce to our world that there is a God who reigns and that he has brought peace and and. and and brings good news of happiness, and announces salvation. And then that last verse he read, he said, and for what had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. That's, that's Isaiah 52, verses uh, 7 through 15. It's talking about the same thing that the shoes are talking about. Stability, protection, and mobility in your Christian life. The ability to stand firm and the ability to be mobile to take the gospel. So on these first three pieces of the armor, I, I would ask you three questions. I hope you're evaluating each week whether the armor's in place in your own life or not. Because that's really the point. I'll ask you three questions this morning as we close. Number one, ask yourself, am I really committed to God's truth? Am I really committed to God's truth? That it is true truth, that it is absolute truth, and that it is being applied and studied and, 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 and given a place of prominence in my life life, his word. Am I really committed to God's truth? Secondly, do I seek and desire a holy life? I mean, do I really hate sin? Not their sin, my sin. It's easy to hate their sin, you know? All oh, those out there just running around sinning, doing all this stuff. It's easy to point at that sin and say, boy, I hate that sin. Nah, that's not you. You hate your sin. And you desire more than anything else to see that sin eradicated by the work of God in your life. Change you with his righteousness. Do you really seek and desire a holy life? And thirdly, I think related to the shoes, the question would be, am I bold in the battle? 
Am I bold in the battle? Are my feet firmly rooted in confidence in God and in his peace? Not just believing that he is, but believing and, and knowing that he is and he is at work in your life. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Questions for you. Questions for me. Next week we'll talk about that shield. Let's pray. Father, as we bow before you, help us to ask and answer these questions sincerely. Help us, Lord, to examine ourselves. Are we really in the battle? Or are we just hoping everything will go okay? Are we able to fight doubt and discouragement and disappointment? Or are we struggling? Father, whatever it is that we need to deal with today individually, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit will be a searchlight to show that. And I pray, Father, that you will help us get that belt on, that breastplate in place, and those shoes shod in our feet. Father, I pray for men and women this morning that don't know you that may be in this building. Pray, Father, your Holy Spirit will move in their heart and their life and, and or draw them to faith in Christ. Father, I pray for others here that just need to deal with you right where they sit and stand in a moment and just wrestle over some of these things in their own life, areas of truth and holiness and, and peace with you, Lord. Work in their lives. Lord, for anything else you're doing, just lead us into obedience that we may honor you in the truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.